I'd like to start firstly with a question. And it's a question that is used quite often. However, depending on your age, your gender, or even your relationship status will depend on whether or not you're the one asking the question or whether it is being asked of you. And the question is, are you listening to me? Now, this is a question I have to use a lot in my life. And before you think I'm having a go at my poor wife, I'm not. I'm a teacher, and unfortunately, this is a question that I have to ask a lot of, a lot of times, because I have to spend my time checking whether or not my pupils are listening to what I'm saying. And so I have to ask them this question. Usually when I ask it, the response is, yeah, I'm listening. However, I know this is not the case because when I ask them to repeat what I've said, they haven't a clue and I have to start all over again. And the parable we're going to look at tonight challenges us with this question and several others. It challenges us to see if we are listening, not just to the words that are being said, but are we then responding appropriately to them? Personally, as I prepared for this talk tonight, I have been challenged by what I've read, by things that I found that I wasn't expecting to find in this parable. And as been mentioned earlier, our parable tonight is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, and it is the well-known parable of the wise and foolish builders. During the preaching workshop, I was intrigued by the suggestion of taking a parable and going deeper into it and really searching for its true meaning, going deeper than the surface. So I picked a parable that I thought I knew really well, but as I studied for tonight and read, read more and prayed about it, I was really challenged by what Jesus is trying to teach us through this parable. So I'd like us to start tonight by reading this parable together. So Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. It's on the screen or follow along if you have it in front of you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house in the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So, like I said, a passage that most of us are familiar with, but hopefully, as we look at it in a little bit more depth over the next few minutes, we will be challenged by what Jesus is trying to teach us through it. Now, as with any passage we look at from the Bible, it's really important to take a look at this passage in its context. And this parable that we're looking at now, it comes at the end of a period of teaching by Jesus. Jesus has been talking to his disciples and the people that had gathered and has been teaching them how a true follower of God should live. He has put out clearly that he has come into this world to save those that were lost, that those people that were knew that they needed something more. He was breaking down traditions as well that had been set up by the religious leaders at the time, showing how 
God's law had perhaps been twisted or new rules and things had been added to it. He was here instead to show how true believers should live, how, it was, how they were to be, stand out and be different than the world, how true believers were to love everyone, how they were to go against normal conventions, how they were to turn the other cheek, how they were to go the extra mile, how they were to give the extra cloak. They were to do things to forgive people, not just people that were nice to them or people that they liked, but to go the extra mile and forgive those that they didn't like, their enemies, and so on. He, Jesus was teaching them and using striking imagery and things that even sound funny when he talked about how we were to look at our own lives and worry about the plank sticking out of our own eye before trying to comment and judge somebody for the little speck in their eye. He was coming and he was challenging the commonly held belief of what it meant to be a follower of God. Like many other parables in the Bible, this appears in other Gospels. Uh, in our Bible, it comes in the Gospel of Matthew. And again, it is recorded there, the end of the period of teaching we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And this context is really important for us to have in our minds as we begin to look at this parable in more depth. And that is because of the questions that Jesus is asking through this parable. He has spent time outlining how a true follower should live. And his warning is now this question. Are we followers or are we deceiving ourselves? Are we who could be classed as true followers of God or are we deceiving ourselves? And this idea of deceiving ourselves is one that Jesus tries to warn us quite clearly about. And as we go through this passage, we are going to see ways that this could happen and we could end up deceiving ourselves. And we need to see these as warning signs because that is what Jesus is putting out here for us. He has gone through this period of teaching, telling people this is how I expect, this is how followers of God should live. This is what they should do. And it, through that, he warned about that there will be false teachers out there and there will be people that will try and twist the words of God and say, you must do this rather than this. And he has warned about that. But now he turns his focus to this idea of false deceivers, of how you could deceive yourselves into believing that you're okay. But he is warning us that that not, might not be the case. And so, as we look at this, we will see Jesus loved to teach by asking questions to get people think. It's a great thing in the classroom too with the children, the pupils I have there. You ask them questions, you get them thinking. Hopefully tonight as we look through this passage, we are going to see some of those questions. We're going to look at some questions together and see if that can get us thinking about what Jesus is really trying to teach us through this passage. So let's return to the passage. It starts with Jesus asking this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And here Jesus straight away is highlighting a group of people who try to say that they were his followers. But it's important to note, Jesus says he did not know them. Jesus is showing us that there are people who may believe that they are Christians, that they are following God, that they are following all the rules, but they are not actually in a relationship with God. He is stating that there could be people here amongst our church who do not know Christ as their savior. Instead, they are deceiving themselves. 
And so this brings us to our first warning about how we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves by believing that being part of a church is enough, or by deceive ourselves by thinking following the rules, rules, that's enough. You follow rules, you do what you're told, that's going to be enough. That is not what we are told. As we mentioned there, Jesus at this time was teaching and trying to break down these rules, these traditions, and the Pharisees, the religious people of that time, they loved their rules, they loved a good rule and things to follow, and they were proud of how many rules they could follow in that. And Jesus, countless times, brought them and showed them and tried to rebuke them and show them that that was not the way it was. Earlier on in the passage, if you look back at the start of uh, Luke chapter 6, the Pharisees came with the question about disciples who had walking through the field of grain and were pulling some of the corn, rubbing it between their hands to eat. But they were classing that as work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is trying to point out to them, God is sitting here talking to you and you're worried about that rule. Jesus is God is Lord of the Sabbath. That is the important thing instead. And so Jesus is here trying to teach us that their emphasis has to be on the right thing and in the right way. And we need to challenge ourselves constantly then on the basis of that and think, why do we do things? Is it what God wants or is it just the tradition? It's what we've always done. Now, traditions are not bad. Traditions can be a great thing, a great way of remembering this is the way we do things, keeping the mind focused. But Jesus' warning is, if we start doing things just because that is the way we have always done them, if it is taking us away from God, which is what the Pharisees were doing in that situation, that is when it becomes a problem. Again, let's look back at what Jesus says. His question was clear. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? In other words, their question at the start are you truly listening to my words? For to truly listen is to not only hear the words that you're said, but to put into action whatever is required as a result of hearing those words. And if I'm honest, this is an area that I have found really challenging when preparing for this talk. Thinking about this and thinking, when I come out on a Sunday, do I just listen to what David says from the front? and then go away and not do anything about it that week as I go into it? Or if I'm reading the Bible and studying something, do I just read what's there and then move on and it makes no effect on my life? Am I actually living like I am meant to be? Am I being, am I a follower? Or am I like the people being mentioned here in this passage, just deceiving myself? And this is what we're looking now. Jesus is moving on from the talk of false teachers to talking now about false deceivers. So we need to be asking ourselves, are we followers or are we deceiving ourselves? And thankfully, we're not left there. I don't have to try and figure this out for ourselves because thankfully Jesus goes on in the parable to try and show us the difference between true followers and those who are deceiving themselves. So back to the passage, and it states this, and Jesus carries on and says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. 
They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. This is the man described that we like to call the wise man, the wise builder. This is a man or person that worked hard. It is not easy to build a house like this. The foundation is built on solid rock because that person dug down deep to the bedrock. They put the effort in. They knew what was important and did it so that they could be secure in the knowledge that when, not if, a storm comes, that their house would stand. The true believer knows that they must build their life on the word of God. It is an act of obedience. That is their foundation. That is what keeps them strong through the storm. People then who listen and don't put into practice the words of God are described very differently. Again, the passage then says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. The house was built with no foundation. This is the lazy approach. There was no effort put in. They didn't want to be bothered with the extra work, the easy way out. But more importantly, as the first person did what they were meant to and showed an act of obedience, this person did the opposite, and so it was an act of disobedience to God. And here we see two very different responses to listening to the words of God. And as we looked at this and I read about it, there are a couple of things that I find that challenge me and I find interesting as well. When Jesus was creating this scene, this image for people and teaching us through this, he was picturing two men that would have been from the same area. They would have heard the same message. They would have had access to the same resources. They would have known the same information. They could have been neighbors. It was the same storm that came. One wasn't more severe than the other. And another thing that I never really thought about was that to look at the two houses, they would have been similar looking. It's only the foundation that is described as being different. There was no other way that it was described as being different. That didn't matter. It was the idea of the foundation that was the key part. And the foundation is the one part of a house that we cannot see from the outside when we look at it. And you know, personally, I think I always got caught up on the childhood song, Don't Build Your House on the Sandy Land. Don't worry, I'm not going to do a David and break into song because this is why one note and nobody wants to hear that tonight. But we always get, I get caught up in this imagery of this, you know, you have one house, this lovely big palace up on a rock and you have this little shack down on the sand on the beach. And you think, well, yeah, that big house, that's going to be fine. That shack, it's on a beach, it's on sand, it's going to fall down. That's not what we're told here. We're told that the difference between these two houses was the foundation you wouldn't be concerned about either of these houses if you walked past them on the street. They would have looked just like any other house of that time. You wouldn't have spotted a difference between them. The only way the difference could be spotted 
and be found out was when the storm came. And in that storm, it caused the house built with no foundation to collapse. And that is pretty bad. But there's a little part of the parable that I didn't read that last time. And that's at the end of verse 49, it says this. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This wasn't a a small storm, a one-off storm, something that just happened. Then you could just go and, you know, repair that little bit that had fallen off. I've had Joel in my house fixing things recently. I couldn't get him round to fix a few things. That's not what is being described here. Its destruction was complete. The house was destroyed. And another part of the parable that I've found challenging when reading and studying for tonight is that the language used by Jesus in this parable wasn't talking about storms and challenges that will come that we will face in our everyday lives. Challenges that come, we move on, and then we move on from them. Instead, what is being described here by Jesus is the judgment at the end of times. When he judges who his true followers are and those who are not. And I find this really challenging because as we looked, and as we mentioned, as we looked at the outward appearance here, there was no way to tell the difference between these two houses. There would be no way to tell the difference between those two people. The only way that we saw the difference was through the storm. And for us, that is too late. If we are the gr- in the group of people that are deceiving ourselves, because the end time when the judgment comes, that would be too late. Thankfully, this is not the end. Thankfully, we are still in a time where we can ensure that we are going to be in the group of people that Jesus will say, yes, I know you. You are one of my true followers. So our question now tonight must be this. How do we know that we truly are followers of Christ? How can we be sure that when that final storm comes, that Jesus will say that he has known us and that we will get to spend eternity with him? And to do that, we need to start by looking back to the words of Jesus himself from the passage. And it says this, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. The bit in the middle there is our key part and puts them into practice. And so that brings us to another question. What are our actions like? Are we living the way we are told to live in the Bible? Now, at this point, I want to make an important note. I am not saying that our actions are what save us. Far from it. Our actions cannot save us. There is nothing we can do to save us, to repair that broken relationship between us and God. We are justified by faith alone. We are saved by God and by his grace alone. That is the essential part of our faith through God's grace. However, as James states in chapter 1, verses 22 and 25, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Passage that we maybe know, well know. Funny image in it there. Now there's probably plenty of us, myself included, that maybe wish that we, we walk away from the mirror, we will forget what our face looks like. But it doesn't happen. We remember, and it's this silly thing it would be ridiculous for you to look at your face and walk away and forget but that's what James is trying to state it's equally as ridiculous and silly to hear the words of God to be told how you're to live how you're to act as a true follower of his and then to walk away and not change your life and change your actions our desire should be to follow Christ and live as he would want us to this desire should come from our true realization of how grateful we need to be for what Jesus has done for us. Like we said a few moments ago, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing to fix that broken relationship between us and God. The only way we can have that relationship is because of what we remembered last week, how Jesus chose to die on the cross, how he chose to bear the punishment, to pay the price for the wrong things that I have done, that you have done. That is the only way that we can have that relationship. And when we focus on that, we should then have a desire to go out and live as God wants us to, to pay, to realize that he has done this great thing, what he has paid for us, that we should then want to live for him as he is telling us to do. And so we need to challenge ourselves with this and with our lives. Are we living the way that God wants us to? And that challenge is an important one because another way that we are told that we can deceive ourselves is by failing to examine our lives properly. And that's the questions we have to ask ourselves. Is that us? Do we examine our lives? Do I look at myself and think, am I living the way I'm meant to be doing? Or am I going through my life unconcerned about sin? Oh, I've done that. It doesn't really matter. Am I unconcerned about it? Am I presumptuous of God's grace? Am I thinking, that's, I can get that, it's okay. Or am I living the way that I should be. Jesus tells us that we need to examine ourselves constantly and especially each time we come to the table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And again, as I've studied for tonight, I've been challenged by this and thinking, am I properly examining my life? Am I presumptuous of God's grace, do I get to the point where I am unconcerned about sin in my life? Because that's not a place where we want to be. Another way that we're told that we can deceive ourselves and fall away is to think and focus in on religious activity and get focused on, oh, I'm doing those right things. 
But we've got to again ask ourselves questions, get yourselves thinking. Why do I attend church? Why do I go to that activity in the middle of the week? Why do I sing? Is it because that's what I've always done? Is it because that's what my family does? That's what my friends do? We need to be asking ourselves these questions. And it comes back to what we are told throughout the Bible and what David brings us back to and always reminds us and gets us to think about. Where is our heart? Where is your heart? What is your desire in life? Is it for routine? I've always done it that way. Is it for habit? I just do it. Or is it for God? Is it to bring him glory? Another way then as well that we're told, and this one comes up these days more and more, where we can deceive ourselves by thinking, my good outweighs my bad. You know, I do more good things than bad things. This is one that we cannot get caught up in. It is not biblical. As Romans tells us, no one is good apart from God. There is no level of sin in God's eyes. Any form of sin causes complete separation from God. God is perfect. God is holy. God can have nothing to do with anything sinful. And so any form of sin causes that separation from God. And so straight away we know that this cannot be a situation for us. And so as we come to the end of our time here, we need to think, what does that mean for us here in Windsor today? In this parable, Jesus has been trying to tell us that there will be two types of people at the final judgment, those that he knows and those that he doesn't. And so we need to know how do we ensure that we are in that first group? How do we ensure that we are going to be in that group that he says, yes, I knew you, and then we get to spend eternity with him? And the key to it is one of the things in there that we have mentioned, self-examination. We need to be reflecting on our daily life. We need to see that, yes, we have shortcomings, that we do make mistakes, but we need to ask for forgiveness for them. And in light of receiving that forgiveness from God, asking for the strength and wisdom to live as we are meant to in response, to make sure that we are not just listening to the words that are being said or listening to the words that we are reading, but that we are actually making sure that we put those actions into place then in our daily lives, that we are changing our life, that we are making sure we are living the way that we are meant to. Like we said, unfortunately, we are all still sinners in this world. And so we will fall down and we will make mistakes. But we need to acknowledge this and acknowledge that we need God's constant help and guidance, his help and his wisdom to help us to strive to be better and to live for him as he would want us to. And so as I finish, I want us to think carefully about our own lives and make sure and challenge yourselves by looking at these different ways that we have listed that we can deceive ourselves and make sure you're not and I am not falling into any of these different groups. Making sure that we don't think that being part of a church is enough. That following the rules is enough. That 
failing to examine our lives properly will cause us problems by focusing just on religious activity rather than what the purpose for it is or thinking that our good outweighs our bad because that is not what we are told. We need to make sure that we are living as God wants us to. And so as we go into this week and we all go into our different lives, our busy lives and all the different challenges that come with that, I want to leave us with one final question, one final challenge. And I want us all to think about this and take a moment of time to think about this and think, how are you living? How am I living? Is it as God wants us to? Are we following the rules just because it's the tradition, just because it's the way we've always done it? Or is it because we realize what he has done for us and in light of that, we want to live for him and to bring him glory.